Our scripture this morning comes from Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Um, it's a traditional Christmas scripture. If you don't know where Malachi is, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, um, or you can count it as the book right before the New Testament. So if you can find Matthew, you can find Malachi. It's, it's Malachi is all of like three pages along. So as you're there, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Oh, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, before we get too, started too far in this, I want to give you a little background into Malachi so you can fully understand the context of what's coming at us this morning. Malachi he was a prophet for God. He was in the time of 460 B.C., so about 500 years before Jesus. Malachi is roaming around the people of God, around Judah and Jerusalem, and he is giving the word of God to the people. And mainly his word is to a people who are half-hearted towards God because they had become in this bit of a rhythm in their life. They are post captivity. They're no longer in Babylon. They're freed from slavery. Jerusalem has been restored. The temple has been built. But the people of God seem to be a rhythmic people. And they get in this rhythm of in their desperation, crying out to God. But then when times get a bit sweeter, becoming a bit more lax, half-hearted, nonchalant towards the Redeemer and the Savior that God has been for them. I would surmise that their rhythm isn't too much different than our own rhythms in our lives. That in those moments of desperation, in those moments of lament, we cry out to God, desperately wanting Him in our lives, needing Him in our lives. But as seasons sweeten up and times get better, we may find our own selves bit more nonchalant towards God, who delivered us from captivity, who freed us from bondage, who restored our hearts. So Malachi here, a messenger of God, and he has this message for, for half-hearted people of God as they follow, but he gives us the Christmas story. So as we read this together, I want you to listen for the Christmas story. Behold, he says in verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand whom, when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, who oppress the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the immigrant and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. 
For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Did you hear that Christmas story? You hear that in there? It was right there in verse 1 when he said, Behold, I send my messenger. That's John the Baptist. Behold, I send the one who will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, the Messiah, will suddenly come into his temple. The Christmas story. See, in seminary, I was was taught that when we go and read the Old Testament, we're to take our Jesus glasses off so that we can fully understand the context of the Hebrew people. But I have come to learn that what I was taught is not truth. That we read Hebrews, and we read Hebrews as a commentary of the Old Testament in which we say you keep your Jesus glasses on because the Old Testament is littered with prophecies and clues and shadows about the very nature of Christ, about our need for a Savior and who we are and who Christ will be in our lives. And so we read with our Jesus glasses on, and when we read with our Jesus glasses on, even here in Malachi, even though it has such close proximity in our Bibles to the New Testament, it is still an Old Testament prophecy. This is still... 500 years before Jesus. Who remembers what they were doing 500 years ago? No one. No one remembers. But here we have God is still speaking 500 years before Jesus, promising the coming Messiah. And so we celebrate this Advent season. See, they were anticipation of his first coming of the Messiah. And we sit here in Advent in the in-between of the already and not yet, that Jesus has already come and that he has provided salvation to us from our sins. But we are awaiting the second coming, the consummation of his kingdom in which there will be a new heaven and a new earth. As proclaimed in Revelation. See, we sit in that time of the already and not yet. And Malachi, 500 years before the incarnation of Jesus, tells us the very consequences of God dwelling among us. That God dwells among us. That he would come and sit upon his temple. And that we would find delight joy, that he provides for us the salvation we cannot provide ourselves. See, we gather that in verse 2, he continues when he says, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? Who with all of your righteous deeds, with all of your good works can stand that when the Lord comes beside him and say, yes, I am in right standing with God. Scriptures tell us none of us can. That there's nothing we do to earn our salvation, but that Christ comes and his perfect life, he dies the death that we deserved and that we have earned through our sin. And he dies and sheds his blood for our forgiveness as an atonement. And three days later, he is raised from the dead, actually raised from the dead. It's important to hold on to that. He was actually raised from the dead. The scriptures, Paul says, if Jesus wasn't actually raised from the dead, then all of this is meaningless. 
everything hinges on Jesus actually physically raising from the dead. It's the seal upon which all is held. It's the truth the scripture testifies to. And that through which his death and his resurrection, his work is sufficient alone for our salvation. For if we could do it on our own, Christ and his death would not be necessary. But Jesus comes and he comes to save us. See, in the Gospel of Matthew, if you turn a couple pages, if you still have your Bible open, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we're told why Jesus comes in the Gospel. It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Christ does not save us in our sins, but he saves us from our sins. See, in Christ, we are a new creation. Jesus says we're born anew or born again, that we are regenerated. Paul says a new creation, that the old is dead and the new has come, that we have died to self and we live for Christ. And friends, I'm here to tell you that when we seek the Lord, it is to seek a fire in which will test us and consume much of what is very dear to us. Not only has he come to save us from our sins, he has come and called us to be holy like our Father in heaven who is perfect. And so, we, during this time and this already and this not yet, that as we have come to faith in Christ, what Jesus begins doing with us is what Malachi says here is, for he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. That's a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. and He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. When we take Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we take him as our refiner and our cleanser, as the one who saves us from our sins, that we are not left in them, but each day we are refined, we are cleansed, in fact, our very name of who we call ourselves suggests that we are trying to become more like Jesus with each passing moment with the name Christian. In fact, with the name that the Bible gives us, the ecclesia, the church, we are called from the world to God. Paul writes about this in his letter to the Roman church. He says this in verse 12. says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
while we have been justified by Christ and what he accomplished on the cross, we are also sanctified daily by Christ. We are made holy. We are made perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect through Christ refining and cleansing of us. How does he refine us? How does he make us holy? How are we sanctified? The first way he does this is through the word of God. For the prophet Jeremiah says this in the 23rd chapter. He says, it is not, is not my word like fire? See, we are refined by the word of God because it reveals God and his nature and who he is and his holiness and his justness and what obedience to him looks like. We're refined by his word because with it, we are clashed from our own thoughts and our emotions and our desires, and they butt heads with exactly who God says he is calling us and making us to be. And so we have a decision to make. Is the word of God our ultimate authority, or do we lean upon our own understanding? Do we lean upon our own emotions? Do we lean upon what is our truth or do we rest upon the truth with a capital T that is found within scripture? See, if, we, if scripture is our ultimate authority, then it can and does refine us as we enter into it and we see what obedience to God looks like and what we are to hold on to and what we are to let go of. Because as Paul says, be not conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And as such, if you are ever displeased by the word, be displeased with the author, God our Father. If the truth ever comes too close to home and it angers you, be angry. But be angry not with me. Be angry with God, for it is his word his truth upon which we stand. See, God refines us through the fire of his word. Fire in which oftentimes we have signed up to be more holy and we pray to be more holy, but then the fire comes in our lives and we pray, please God, take this away. It is too hot. We cannot take the heat. Or we cry out when our favorite desire is taken away from us by God so that we may be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. See, God also refines us and he cleanses us through time and fellowship with him. See, our time and fellowship with God is more than just the quiet time we spend in prayer in the morning or in the evening, the time in fellowship with God is a walk with God. In everything we do, God is there with us. We get direct access to God. That's what we get through Jesus Christ on the cross is we get God, we get time with him. And the more time, the more fellowship we have with the Father, the more our heart desires to remove anything that would separate us, anything that would cause us to spend less time with the Father. 
It causes us to want to move away from sin and darkness in our life and move closer to Him. More time with God. More time. Because God is the prize of the gospel. Not heaven. God. We get God. Right relationship with God. Because heaven without God is no paradise at all. But anywhere God is, is the place I want to be. And finally, we're refined and we're cleansed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the one that we liturgically, we dress up in red and we put flames all about us. We celebrate on Pentecost as a flame, as this fire that comes that we know when we read Holy Scripture that the Holy Spirit is there illuminating it for us, that when we go to fellowship with God, it's by the prodding of the Holy Spirit in our lives that when we find those moments we are nearest and dearest with God, the Holy Spirit has pushed us and surrounded us and we feel the very warmth. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us into that transformation. The Holy Spirit refines us. See, Malachi continues when we see here in verse 3, he says, He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. These are God's words. And he's made note of the very posture of Jesus Christ. There was no need to tell us whether he's sitting or standing, but merely that he is refining us. But the very fact that he tells us that he sits as we are refined, we must make note of that. One preacher said it's much like a mom who sits while she gives her child a bath. But when it comes time to wash the face and the soap gets all over it and the child cries out, screaming to want it off. The mom sits. She sings. She cares for her child. Not rushing to take it off, but knowing that the soap is good for her child. To remove pizza stains, peanut butter crust, Kool-Aid mustard. So too, Jesus sits as we are refined by the fire and we cry out, it's too hot. We can't take this heat. He sits and he sings. For the scriptures tell us he will never leave us nor forsake us. But he is there with us, refining us, holding on to us. Because for Jesus, as he uses God's words here, we are his treasure. We are his silver and his gold. Therefore, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's said that Jesus refines his silver, refines his treasure. His inflection in us. 
editor calling us all. Is it not to be more like Jesus as each day passes? More loving, more merciful, more gracious, more kind, more joyful, more hopeful. Have more self-control and more kindness, more patience and more peace. To be more like Jesus. Though the fire hurts and stings and soap often gets in our eyes, Jesus does it through his love. Through his love. Because ahead of us with Jesus are always.